Blog Talk Radio. The beat goes on. The beat goes on. Drums keep pounding a rhythm to the brain. La da 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 dee. La da 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 da. Charleston was once the rage, huh?
It's got a lot of history with me and the human solution. This is a day that um, I remember a lot for various reasons, and I'll explain some of those reasons as the show goes on. Um, this day in 2011, I was getting ready to start my trial of my then third felony case. I was facing time 14 felonies for the charge of selling a plant. And that's not an exaggeration. That's not a stretch. It's not a yarn. It's the truth. 14 counts of sales of a controlled substance were my charges um, that I think in the beginning they had, I don't know, 28 charges or something like that, but they dropped a lot of them because they didn't have a case. The day before Thanksgiving in 2011, the judge had denied my medical defense. And in California, we had passed a law 20 years ago um, that allowed people that had a valid doctor's recommendation that recommended that they were to use cannabis for any number of uh, ailments could get this recommendation and, and be uh, not exempt, not not protected, but given what they call an affirmative defense. And so many people have it wrong about how these laws work, and I want to talk about that a little bit today because it certainly affected me. So in California, where we started the whole medical thing back in 1996, um, you know, the, the authors of this law did a great job, in my opinion, by making it very broad and very uh, loosely defined as to what this meant. And with typical uh, legalese, and if you follow the Constitution and the way that laws are supposed to be um, interpreted, if there's ever anything in a law that is not, uh, if, if there's a way for it to be interpreted, meaning that it's not very specific and very clear, with what it means, that the interpretation is supposed to err on the side of a defendant rather than to be an oppressive thing. So, for example, if it says that a patient um, or their caregiver can uh, transport, cultivate, exchange, whatever, all the different things that, that you might do with cannabis, um, and it wasn't specifically designed to find how much a person could have or some of the specifics that were later codified, it's supposed to err on the side of a defendant rather than how they do zoning laws, which are what they call permissive. And permissive uh, structure is the opposite of that. It's, it is such that 
if it's not clearly spelled out that you can do something, that you cannot do it. And we don't live in a permissive society except for the purposes of land use where they do very specifically lay out land uses. But California, in its great wisdom, um, many, many justices have decided to interpret this in the most harsh possible way, and, and thus the 20-year nightmare of our medical law uh, was born. Well, I had all the things that you're supposed to have, and when I opened up my collective uh, dispensary at the time in 2011, well, it was 20, 2007, I think, when I actually opened it. But anyways, when all those things happened, I was as protected as somebody could be in my situation um, by the state and under the guidance of several attorneys, including what who ultimately ended up being my defense attorney. Um, but the judge, in his infinite wisdom, decided that he was going to grant the prosecutor's motion to deny my medical defense. And at the time when that happened, um, I was righteously indignant, as I am today, and I was defiant, as I am today, and I said, well, if you want to take away my medical defense, then at least I have jury nullification to fall back on, and I'll fall back on that. If I'm going to be uh, a felon, it's not going to be because I didn't try. It's going to be because I gave it everything I had, and I wasn't able to beat it. So even though my medical defense was denied, um, my attorney, who told me, when it was denied, he said to me this. He said, Joe, the only thing we can do is to submit a writ to the appellate court, and you got to do it quick because you're going to start your trial. But I don't do that, and it's going to cost probably $10,000 to have somebody else do it. And since you already owe me money, I don't know how you're going to do that. And I said, wow, that sucks. All right, so be it. So I didn't know that we are going to even have a fighting chance, but my co-defendant's attorney, um, who has a lot of things, both positive and negative, that I could say, but today is the day before Thanksgiving, so we're going to talk about positive things today. Um, she filed a writ with the 4th District, and uh, if you understand how appellate law works, Generally speaking, um, appellate court cases are not heard or decided on until a decision's been made, until there's been uh, a conviction. And then the appellate process generally begins. However, there is a provision in our due process that allows for a writ to be filed if there's an appealable issue on the record uh, prior to a trial. Uh, one of the good things was is this attorney knew that and was able to submit a writ. Now, if also you know anything about the appellate court, um, they don't have to take a case. They can just deny it. 
Many appeals are denied without any further ado, um, and that's just the way it works. So the odds, first of all, of even being able to get this writ submitted to the appellate court, uh, slim as it was, uh, for it to be heard by the appellate court was even slimmer. But we showed up on the day before Thanksgiving on 2017, or 2011, I'm sorry. And we were supposed to be, um, a writ is similar to a brief, um, but a brief is uh, a little bit different. A writ is actually a formal filing uh, to the appellate court. A brief would be something that adds to a filing, generally speaking. Anyways, um, we show up, trial readiness conference, this is, you know, the day before you pick a jury, generally speaking. And we're walking in there, and I'm, you know, starting to get a little bit uneasy because I didn't have a defense at this point. And the judge, who was clearly at this point my adversary um, and was already showing bias to the prosecutor um, in a pretty substantial way, number one, by denying this medical defense that I had a right to, uh, he said, well, um, there's been a stay put on the trial and you're going to have to uh, the 4th District has taken the case and uh, until they issue a ruling we can't do anything and so I said uh, well I got a couple more days at least and who knows at the time, we had a friend who was being held on house arrest in L.A., and it wasn't super far from the Long Beach courthouse where we were at. And so, uh, you know, we were in good spirits. We said, well, let's go celebrate with Tom. And so a bunch of us packed up, and we, we drove on over there, and uh, uh, he had actually had some oysters imported from a friend uh, who was an oyster oyster farmer up in uh, Washington, and they were fresh, beautiful, delicious oysters. Anyways, we had a Thanksgiving spread that day, that, that afternoon, and we figured, well, we can at least celebrate that there's hope. Well, about halfway through this meal, I got a call from my co-defendant's attorney, and uh, she said, they give you your defense. And I couldn't have been happier. So that, that was a uh, a huge celebration. At the time, we were doing an open house Thanksgiving that we did for almost 20 years. And, yeah, for 20 years we had, uh, you know, anywhere between 20 and probably 100 people come to our, our place. And, um, you know, we had this big, long patio that we'd lay tables out, and sometimes, I don't know, shoot, I think we had eight or nine tables all laid up, and we had this giant spread, and, and you know, in good times and in bad, you know, we had uh, we had some sad, sad times that happened around Thanksgiving a couple of times, but more often than not, you know, everybody came together and had an amazing experience. But I remember this Thanksgiving in particular because uh, we were, we were uh, hopeful, you know, we had 
we had one Thanksgiving to spend together before this trial and and share an amazing meal with amazing friends and, and I have some great memories of that. But that's just a testament to, you know, a law and people think a law is the answer. A law, we passed a law, we need to have a law. And I want to talk about these laws. And we keep talking about we got to get a signatures, we got to get a petition, we got to get a law passed. Uh, I've been studying history pretty ardently for the last several months. And um, part of what I'm doing is trying to learn from history because they say if we don't learn from it, we're destined and doomed to repeat it. And if you look back on the history of humanity, it's a pretty bloody, awful thing, more than it's a good and blessed thing. Um, people throughout all of history have been brutal, have been cruel, have been barbarous, have been savage and in our um, growth as a society. And even after, you know, some of the great democracies of Greece and and, and whatnot, and we've come forward and, and, you know, the Magna Carta was signed and all this amazing progress. At the same time, uh, we had practices of slavery that were some of the most brutal um, practices by so-called civilization and civilized people. And... You know, I'm studying this history from multiple multitude of perspectives, um, some pretty classic textbook-type things. One, I've got a, a book that I'm reading called uh, The People's History of, of America, and it's, it's, it's told from the point of view of, of, of the defeated. And if you know anything about history, it's... Um, generally told from the point of view of the victor. And if you know anything about history, it's a, a series of battles and coups and overthrows of governments and, and rises to power and rebellions and revolutions. And generally speaking, if you look at history, those are the things they talk about. And so I think to myself, well... What are we trying to do? In many ways, it's not that different. I'm personally trying to lead a rebellion. <laughs> if you don't want to mince words about it, um, I feel that we are being oppressed by our government. And um, I have personally been oppressed by my government. And I've been imprisoned and I've had my property taken from me and I've had... Uh, opportunity taken from me and years of my life taken from me and not because I harmed anybody but because of this oppressive oppressive regime that we so thoughtfully put into play and all of my oppression happened <clears throat> during the reign of Obama who so many people thought was such a god but the truth is uh, these political leaders are political leaders, 
And it doesn't seem to matter uh, what party they're in, and it doesn't seem to matter what color they are, and it doesn't seem to matter where they come from. Um, they seem to all be the same when you boil them down and start looking at their records. And um, as we're passing more and more laws, I'm hearing more and more people being very polarized in their political bent and their their ways of thinking and their and their righteous indignation. And I think to myself sometimes, what is the basis of your righteous indignation? Now, many of the people that I talk to, it has to do with legality. It has to do with um, somehow tying morals and laws together. And I'm here to beg to differ with you. Um, we have bad laws. Historically, we've had bad laws. There have been bad laws since there's been laws. And that's why we talk about jury nullification. If, if being legal meant being righteous, I'd have a different point of view. If a law that was passed was automatically good because it was passed, I would have a different point of view. But if you go back in history and you start looking at laws, um, part of what I'm studying right now are the slave rebellions. Because they don't tell you a whole lot about that in history, but there's record of it. At the time in the 1700s, there were uh, indentured servants uh, of all colors and races. There were slaves that were generally African. Um, not necessarily. There were Oriental slaves. There was all, I mean, there was people were enslaving each other. And um, there were laws that were regulating these slaves and gave rights to overseers. And when there were particularly rebellious slaves that got up and took off or caused harm, there were many cases where uh, people were killed, farms burnt down. There was all kinds of rebellions that went on. The victors didn't talk about it much, but it happened. And there were laws that were very clearly giving the rights to certain people to do whatever they saw necessary to to somebody who was guilty of um, running away from their bondage. And they had specificity where where they could legally dismember a man for running away or causing insurrection. Um, they could kill them in any way they saw fit. They could do all sorts of things. And these things were all legal. And speaking of slavery, this is Craig Cecil calling from Terre Haute, Indiana. And we're going to see what Craig has to say. Hello, Craig. How are you doing today? Hello, Joe. Greetings from the Federal Correctional Institute <laughs> at uh, Terre Haute, Indiana. <laughs> well, I, uh, I, I, I'm glad that at least you're uh, not working a, a triple shift today and you're at least able to call in. Yes, yes. I, I, we no longer have to work those crazy hours as we did. As you know, those were long. 
Seven ten in the morning until ten thirty at night. That's wow. a long day. That is a brutal day. Um, how how when did you finally uh, get that get free on that one? Um, it's been over a week now. It's been over a week. I I think we pretty much met their goals, you know, to clean up some orders from the end of the fiscal year. The end of the fiscal year being uh, the end of September. So we cleaned up some orders that they got, you know, just so all these agencies could spend their money before <laughs> they start their new budgets. And uh, so now we're back to the slow slog of the, you know, the normal grind. Yeah, people don't know when they talk about uh, programs and and projects that are federally funded. Um, generally speaking, um, you know they they run on a budget, um, and the budget is for a period of time. And if they don't, if they don't spend the money, uh, they won't get it again. But if they spend the money, then oftentimes they'll renew it. And the problem is, is rather than do it, um, you know, in a way that makes sense, like actually do what you're here to do, uh, you know, they operate in in uh, in uh, last minute, hurry up and, and, you know, do it. And then once they have the money, a lot of times they'll, you know, they just squander it anyways. But I, this is no no exception to that. Well, that's how we get so much stuff in those Army surplus stores. They buy it from us just to use up their budgets. They're buying stuff from us in uh, camouflage that they don't even use anymore. Wow. But just so they could, like you say, run out their budget money. And that'll end up in a warehouse for a few years until they auction it off to the, you know, the Army surplus stores. Well, so... Um, what What is the latest from, from Terre Haute? I... I have been hearing more about that, um, you know, that bill that you were talking about, and people are talking about it a lot as though it's going to happen, but I still, uh, unfortunately, I don't know that um, the last five weeks of the year are usually a a very productive one for our, our Senate. I agree, and more of the pundits seem to agree here recently that as much as there's a whole lot of talk about, you know, some some sort of sentencing reform or criminal justice reform or prison reform, they haven't even agreed yet to what they actually want to move forward on. And the bottom line is, is that Congress is pretty much done for this year. I exactly. Mean, they have some budget issues to work on, some debt limit issues, you know, a few other things. So this is going to fall by the wayside. And I think our best hope is, is that, out of our new crop of uh, uh, Congress people, hopefully there's somebody that, you know, is really knowledgeable that really wants to champion criminal justice reform. And it just takes small bites. As you know, I'm pushing to make uh, uh, drug offenses equal in uh, sentencing ranges or equal in its statutory uh, limits to a violent crime. If it's a non-murder violent crime, it carries up to 20 years. If it's an aggravated violent crime, like something with a gun or a weapon, it's 25 years. Do something like that for drugs. Yeah. Now, why does, why, I, as you know, I've figured out, had I been convicted of rape, 
instead of a marijuana charge, I'd be looking at a maximum of 33 months in prison. Yeah, but you, instead, on a marijuana charge, with my same history and everything else, it's a life sentence. There's something wrong there. Yeah, there was a case in Washington where a guy had drugged a girl, and um, he had raped her and ultimately killed her. And he had sent pictures of this uh, partly clothed woman, I guess, while she was still alive, to friends of his as sort of a trophy. And then I, I don't know if he did or he attempted to dispose of the body. And this is in Washington State. I heard about it on the news this week. And when he was sentenced, I don't know if he went to trial or if he pled out, but either way, when he was sentenced, um, the judge gave him 33 months, and that was the guideline. And the judge had had uh, made a comment that she didn't, she didn't feel it was severe enough, but that's just the way it was, and that's what this guy got, 33 months for a heinous rape and murder and and with what I would consider to be um, aggravated, you know, whatever they call it, special circumstances. And yet, you know, if you had gotten 33 months, you'd be out. Correct, correct. And I've seen it myself right here in the cell block that I'm overlooking right now. I'm up on the balcony, of course, on the phone. But um, there was a guy here that went home last year from this cell block, and uh, his crime was murdering two federal marshals. He shot and killed two federal marshals, and he's now home in Peoria, Illinois, on parole. Wow. But I can never be paroled. Right, right. Well, and, and you know, I think that part of part of the mission, you know, we're building an A-team right now. I'm, I'm, I'm working on, on training a, a few good people that are setting up new chapters across the country and uh, preparing to really educate people in a in a concerted way. I, we just set up a Central California chapter, and we just set up a new chapter in Kansas, um, Ohio, and New York this year. So we got four solid new chapters this year, and uh, I've got some really strong, uh, knowledgeable people, eager people, and uh, we're working on a on a real specific plan to get the the messaging out there too educate people and bring people together to know how to accomplish this because you know without without showing up every single day to do this in a in a week everybody forgets and we need people that are continue this day or night regardless of what little laws get passed regardless of what little victories we make um we got to keep pounding like a cougar in a cage. 
You know, like they used to do back in the old gas stations, they catch some wild animal, put them in a cage as a as a as a display almost. You know, they talk about it as though, you know, does, does anybody walk away with outrage, enough outrage to will to get out there and do something, or do they just shake their head? Oh yes, but if you think about it, I guess from the standpoint of the the prison people, they'd rather have a whole lot of people like me than actual silent criminals. Well, of course, <laughs> absolutely. If I if I was a prison guard advocate, I'd be saying we need more people just like you. <laughs> <laughs> that would be you're, you're, you're a you're a guard's dream. And they do. I, I mean, I do get treated differently because they know I'm not going to hurt them. They know I'm I'm not going to have weapons. I'm not you know on drugs. None of those things. Right. So you know, I mean, of course, they are more relaxed around me, and they they do treat me differently. And I'm sure they, you know, they're a lot happier with about half of the federal. Uh, popular, you know, prison population that is, you know, like me in that regard. Well, I just wish that, um, you know, we could really, I mean, we're we're making progress minute by minute, you know, day by day. We're getting one one more person, one more person, and I know that over time, you know, we're we're gaining on it. We're making, we're having victories. There, I look back across our history as a group. And we've got, you know, a lot of victories, and that that number just keeps growing. But meanwhile, uh, you know, I keep hearing about more people being locked up and more people that are still locked up. And, and, you know, more and more cases come to my attention. I don't know that there are uh, statistically more cases happening than there were before, but I know that it hasn't stopped, and I know that people are still getting locked up, and I know that... um, you know, the the population of nonviolent drug offenders um, hasn't gone dramatically down. So I think that that just needs to change. Well, I know the public uh, announcements regarding drug prosecutions here in the last couple of years have said they're going to target all these, you know, heroin and opioids and all the drugs that are truly killing scads of Americans everywhere. But you know what I'm seeing in federal prison is they're catching the people that, you know, are working for somebody else selling crack on the street corners of the inner city, you know. Unfortunately, you know, I mean, that's not good. But they're giving those people 30-year sentences. They're tying up all the law enforcement people. And really, they didn't hurt anybody. You know, these are actually fairly minor crimes, but they're giving them, you know, huge attention and spending huge amounts of federal dollars to prosecute them. And not the people that are, you know, putting all kinds of heroin out there and, you know, the prescription opioids that are killing tons of people. Oh, yeah. Hopefully they they actually follow through on what they're, you know, what they put in the media. Well, they got El Chapo in the defendant's chair, so they got something at least. (laughs) Yes, yes. Although I I wouldn't want to be a jury on his case. I don't think any of those jurors are going to live very long. Unfortunately, I've seen some pushback uh, here recently in the this call is from a federal prison. But there seems to be pushback more and more against the uh, the tide of people that are pushing for decriminalization. I've seen a whole bunch of push of people saying that uh, 
marijuana is really not, you know, a good treatment for opioid addiction. And uh, it doesn't seem to make any sense. All they do is make the allegation, but I've never seen anything to, you know, any study based on, a, you know, a group of people or anything like that to really bear out what they're saying other than their own innuendo. I mean, that's why the, the government needs to allow you know, anybody who wants to study marijuana, just study it. Do groups, you know, studies on big groups so we truly know, you know, what is the effect of marijuana? Does it, you know, can we prove with this control group that many of them quit using opioids, that they quit using all kinds of different PTSD drugs with uh, side effects that, you know, that marijuana is capable of aiding a lot of people and actually come up with statistics of how many people it works for and maybe there's, you know, some that it doesn't work for. We need those studies. Well, and that's the problem with being Schedule 1, and, and that's why Richard Nixon was, it was architect that way. They did it on purpose for that exact reason. They knew the people that were behind the Controlled Substances Act knew that cannabis was not didn't belong on Schedule 1, but when they got it put on there, they knew that they they put a, a lid on the box because you couldn't do research of that kind of a drug. And that was the very, very purpose of it. And, you know, it, it's one of these things that um, it, we've just got, you know, anybody can say anything, and people will just go, oh, well, you know, they said this. You don't have to prove anything. You make an allegation, and it, you can create policy. Uh, and I, that's the one thing I hate about the information age the way it is today. Go ahead, Craig. You, you got your first beep already. I'm going to let you carry it home. Well, thank you, but uh, I'm behind you to, you know, let's push our our congressman again. Is, uh, you know, now we're going to have a few new ones coming in, whether we want them or not. We have new ones. Let's. You know, let's email them and let's say, you know, what is your position on decriminalization? What is your position on allowing anybody responsible to, you know, research marijuana? And what are we going to do about people in, in prison for life for marijuana but 33 months for rape? And there he goes. 15 minutes and uh, that's it. Cut off. I want to make one more point about the tax dollars and, and all of this. You know, in California, uh, midterm elections, there was a huge uh, change in the in the guard. Well, yes and no. I mean, um, but it's all Democrat now. Every 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 representative, and we just got through. We're not done yet, but we're finishing up a giant wildfire. And that was uh, pretty much determined it was started because Edison um, doesn't have their wires protected. And when the winds get blowing hard, they can spark. And they said they were going to shut the power down uh, in case of this happening, but they didn't. And it's not really being disputed that they're the primary char uh, cause of these fires that just destroyed a whole town, 7,000 buildings, over 70 people killed. Um, some of the people are burnt so badly that they have to have these special forensic 
doctors that can identify the roots of teeth because that's the only thing that's left of them. And rather than allowing for people to get some kind of recompense, some sort of justice, some sort of uh, remediation of this, our state legislators have put forth a bill that looks like it's going to pass. It's going to protect the electric companies from uh, lawsuits. And uh, their declaration was to the stock market that we're going to make sure that, you know, we don't let these utility companies get fleeced and taken apart. And I just have to wonder, you know, Everybody who thinks it's this way or that way, everybody who thinks it's this demon or that demon, you know, look at your elected officials' voting records. Take a minute. Get to know these people. Um, You're going to find they're all the same. How much money did the electric company have to throw down to get themselves protected by state legislators? Um, and they were the cause of such a horrific uh, calamity, an event that could have been prevented. It didn't have to happen that way had they done what they said. And I'm not, you know, saying electric companies are a big demon. I know that they're certainly corrupt, and I know that they take advantage of situations, and I know that make a lot of money uh, from providing a service that we don't have a choice of where we get it from unless we want to go off the grid, which some people do and good for them. But most people don't have the wherewithal, the gumption, and the knowledge to do that. And so if you want electricity, which pretty much most of us do, you have one company to choose from. And they get to tell you how much you pay for your electricity. And they can raise it as needed, lower it as needed, turn it off when they feel like it. And yet when they're the cause of a disaster, probably the worst uh, disaster in California history regarding fires, maybe not the biggest fire, but the most deadly, Um, they're the first ones to be protected. And uh, you can thank your elected officials and your tax dollars for that happening. I can't imagine what it would be like to be somebody who lost a home in this fire or lost a loved one or died in this fire. Uh, I apologize, it wasn't Edison, but the utility, Pacific Gas and and Electric. Yeah, and I, I wasn't being specific to the company, just to the entity of a utility. Um, I couldn't imagine what it would be like for somebody who uh, lost everything, maybe one surviving family member uh, lost their family, lost their home, lost their property, and the only hope they might have of making anything somewhat whole would be to go after the cause of it, and now they don't have that. And I'm not a too happy person by any stretch. I'm not anybody who even advocates that. But when I see something that might be the right thing to do to make 
right what you can in a situation like that, and to watch the government step in the way, um, I have a problem with that. Anyways, um, before Craig called in, we were talking about laws and bad laws, and um, I just think that it's important to make changes to the law. I think if we're ever to evolve as a society to truly be enlightened, then we would have good laws. But if you look through our health and safety code, through our criminal code, through all the different types of law there are, the books that make these laws are voluminous. They fill rooms up. And if you look at how our system is set up, the people that benefit from all of this complicated, convoluted, overly restrictive, regulated system of laws that we have, it's the lawmakers and the lawyers that benefit better than half the time. Every single time a case needs to be disputed, fought, dealt with, a lawyer or two or three or ten are going to benefit from this. Uh, we have lawmakers hundreds and hundreds of lawmakers whose job it is is to make laws. How many more laws do we need? I, I just have to wonder, when are we going to have an epiphany and wake up and say, do we need full-time lawmakers? Do we need to maybe audit our entire justice system? Where does it end? These people make millions and millions of our tax dollars and have a lifetime of, of benefits and, and, and they live in the upper echelon of society for their lives. And we elect them over and over and over again. And yet we sit there with righteous indignation and say, well, what's illegal? And I just have to wonder, when, when, when do we wake up? And that's a big part of this show. That's why I, one of the reasons I do this show. One is to to give voices to people like Craig and, and other people that are fighting cases and, and to be able to share their stories. And the other is to maybe give a different perspective than the the less than honorable distribution of facts as our media gives us. Um, anybody who knows me knows I'm not political. I am anti-political. I am not for any party. I'm against them all. And uh, I think that we can make changes from the inside. I think that we can rise up in a nonviolent, effective way by sharing information, by coming up with a plan, by deciding that, deciding clearly what we want. I think that's our biggest problem is it takes a lot of work and a lot of effort to sit down and say what we want and, and, and to be willing to get out there and show up every day without being paid for it because these poor bastards get paid for it. It's easy to show up to work and, and, and be a politician. Not that it's an easy job to be a politician, but it's, it's a, a lot easier when you draw a salary and you have benefits and pretty good way of life. It's a lot harder to get out there on your own time, on your own dime, on your own back, 
and stand up and try to make a difference. And that's what I'm advocating for. I'm advocating for us to stand up and own the power that we have as a citizen of this country. I believe we have a great country. I truly do. I believe that this is the greatest country that ever was. And you don't agree with me, that's fine. That's one of the things that makes this country great. You can disagree with me, okay? But it's not great because of the government we have in place today. It's certainly not great because of the negative things that we've done to get here. It's great in spite of all those things. And I think that if you get down to the core, some of the fundamental things that we do have are things that other countries don't have. And we have a place that if you have it inside you to succeed, you can. I, I just recently uh, heard a very outline version of uh, Maya Angelou's story. And uh, you want to talk about somebody who rose up just out of the sheer will and brilliance of her own self. She underwent all kinds of horrors and lived a life that most people would never get out of. Most people, with given her situation, would have ended up drug-addicted and dead before they were 25 years old. But she didn't. And she rose up to become an amazing, world-renowned individual um, and an inspiration to so many. But I think that the remarkable thing about that is she exemplifies what any one of us could do. From wherever we're at, from whatever we're, we're dealing with, whatever we're oppressed with, whatever our affliction is, whatever our problem is, we still live in a place where we can overcome these things. And it isn't easy. It isn't fair. But if an exceptional, remarkable person is willing to do all the hard work necessary, they can literally do anything in this place. So for that, I say we have a lot to be thankful for. And um, I want to spend the show giving people a chance to call in and, and tell their stories about what they're thankful for, and, and hopefully, uh, you know, we can have some good conversation. I do have another advocate, um, another federal case that just came across my bow, and she's been trying to call in, and I don't know if we're having problems with the phones today or not, but uh, I'm going to probably have her call in on my cell uh, after the next couple of calls come in. But if you want to call in, share your story with us tonight, uh, just pick up your phone and dial 646-929-2495. I know it's the day before Thanksgiving. There's probably not nearly as many people um, that are here with us today, but um, we do it because it's important. Uh, the show is an important part of my life. It's become that. When I had the idea to do this show as opposed to the show we were doing previously, something just told me that this is what needs to happen. And I, I, I it's a hassle, actually, to do this show. I'm, I'm become super busy, and I don't have time, I don't have two hours time to give to anybody for anything right now, but uh, no matter what, I try to carve this 
two-hour slot out for this week because I feel it's a it's an opportunity to do something bigger than me, to do something better than anything I could do on my own. It requires all the people that participate, all the people that are part of this thing that's bigger than all of us, um, and it gives us a place to be together and share this energy. And I, I believe that there is something really that happens when people come together to share their energy. So I'm going to prattle on about a few things I'm thankful for, and uh, then we're going to have a couple of guests come on, and we'll go on from there. So this year in particular, um, I'm very thankful for some of the new folks that have come aboard. I'm, I'm super thankful we've gotten four new chapters this year. We have uh, the New York chapter, and we have the Ohio chapter, and the New, Kansas. new Kansas chapter, and the new Central California chapter. And uh, as we set out a couple of years back to maybe slow down our growth a little bit, but to make it uh, um, better, uh, to get to not worry so much about the numbers, but to make sure that the people we have are are people that are are really part of this, and that's where we came up with the whole A-Team idea, and I, and I believe the A-Team is growing. You know, the whole organization's growing as well, but the A-Team's really growing, and that's what's exciting. Um, I'm really adamant about putting together a, a serious and solid plan, and I'm, I'm working in my head ways that we can do this. Um, the first piece of this plan, I'm, I'm one person left. Mary, I love you. I'm thankful for you. This is going out to Mary, our non-compliant screener. Yay, Mary! But she is non-compliant, and we decided as a as a leadership team that we were all going to put together a video, a little couple-minute video, so that people could get to know who the board is. Who I'm right here. Is. Yay! Yay! <laughs> you know, I've and got you it, it on my iPad, and I just don't know how to get it off there. I thought of just as a joke of just putting the iPad in one of those flat rate boxes at UPS and sending it to Becca. I feel, I don't know how to get this thing off. I can look at me and it talks. It's a video, but it's in my iPad. What am I going to do? You, you need a youngster. Don't you have a youngster in your life? Oh, I've given up all the old ones. I've given up all the young ones. I'm working on the ones in the middle right now, so I'm talking directly to you, Joe, and Becca, and Lisa, and the rest of you. <laughs> well, I tell you anyway, what, if you were to that's, do that. That's my dilemma. I'm going back behind the scenes. Okay, no problem. Anyway, um, I, I had pretty much figured that was the case, but at the end of the day, um, um, Mary, you could even do a Facebook live stream and save it, and then we could take that. If you're able to log on to Facebook, just do a live stream of yourself, and then that can be saved, and we can take that and upload it. I'm um, not a religious gal, but I gave up Facebook for Lent. I know, I know. I, I'm, I've been trying to do that too, but there's a, there's that, that's a tool that you could use it for. <laughs> and well, I went cold turkey all this time. I don't want to give up all the all the gain I've made, all the the friends I have out yeah. there in the forest. Around no no connectivity, you know, no internet or something. So I'll figure it out. I'm a can-do gal. I know you are. We will figure it out. So knowing that you've done it, I can cross that off my list of bugging you for it. We just got to get it get it from you. So not yes. a problem. All right. So, so the next is folks. Um, 
if you go to the website and you look on the Meet the Team page, you'll see a bunch of videos. And um, it's the current leadership team. And uh, if they're not all on there, they'll all be on there soon. And it just puts a face to the people that are behind the scenes. But the next step I want is all of the rising leaders, the chapter coordinators, all the people. I don't know. Is this Craig again? Let's see what's up. Hello. Can I thank the oh. Kansas people? Yay! Yeah, of course, of course. Thank you. <laughs> Liz, we, a little bit more. I showed up today, home. folks, and uh, Yay! Thank you, Kansas. We had a, a, an amazing uh, little That's gift that um, came from our very classy of you, our Kansas folks. So um, definitely want to thank you guys. Um, but anyways, what I want now? Helen, Helen, yes. Beautiful wind chime. Absolutely, absolutely. I haven't gotten around to that. Yeah, we, we've 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 been blessed with some wonderful people that have come in, and I think that's one of the first steps is uh, uh, getting all the new chapter folks, if you haven't already, to put together a little video, um, introducing yourself, telling us uh, who you are and and uh, what what you got going on. Tell us about your chapter and. Uh, one of the next things we're going to do is we're going to be reaching out to some of the inmates that we've been supporting. Um, one of the things that we've done historically, and, you know, when I got locked up the first time, I had no idea there was people that were locked up for pot. I would have sort of assumed it, but I really didn't know that. And um, when I got out of my first case, it wasn't really until I got into my second case I met an individual who had a, a prison outreach group. And when I met her, there were two of them actually, and um, they both became very involved with the organization uh, for a time. And uh, one of them stayed on even for a while longer. But I got to know a number of these inmates. And uh, in 2012, the year after I was describing Initially, I was behind bars, and I got, uh, they violated my bail and um, hit me with a quarter-million-dollar bond, and I couldn't get out. So while I was trying to fight my case uh, prior to trial, while, they, while the prosecution was appealing my overturned conviction, um, I was languishing in the Twin Towers. And... As Thanksgiving was approaching, I realized I was going to be spending Thanksgiving behind bars. And it was a pretty wild situation. I'd never, you know, we had this open house Thanksgiving for 20 years, and that's that's all I knew. And um, I can remember when it hit me. I wasn't going to get out. I was going to be behind bars on Thanksgiving. And I told everybody that I said, you know, well, keep going, you know, don't slow down on my account. Have the Thanksgiving. And so they did. They still had a Thanksgiving. And I said, well, here's the deal. If you guys get to have a good Thanksgiving, I'm going to call you up. And every time I call, somebody's got to tell me a joke. And so at least I'll get some laughs out of it. 
And that was our deal. So I called up, I don't know, I spent probably a couple hundred bucks on the phone that day, calling in, calling in. You know, you get your 10, 15 minutes with every call. And um, I had everybody that was there at least tell me a joke. And that was how I was able to, you know, deal with it. Um, But that's what you do. You deal with it. You move on. The year after that, um, we had gotten a lot more involved with this this outreach group and ultimately had uh, what we had considered to be, we absorbed them. And uh, we took on a prison outreach element to our organization. Our uh, vice president at the time had lost her father in federal prison, so we had strong ties to the prisoner community. And uh, this is really a bittersweet pill for me because, you know, I spent a lot of time working with a lot of inmates. And um, in 2013, we had an open house uh, Thanksgiving. And this was an exceptional year because we had grown really huge in that year. That was the year we went up to... um, Montana and started a whole bunch of chapters and we had picked up a, a lot of new energy and a lot of new people and as I got to know a lot of the inmates that this outreach program had set up I'd written letters to them and, and exchanged phone numbers and um, you know was making fairly regular calls to a number of them well on, in 2013 I had they have an email system called Coralinks in the federal prison system and you're able to send an email just more or less like a regular email. And I had invited everybody that was on my list. I think at the time I had 25 people or so on my list, and I had sent them all an invitation to call me um, and and be part of our Thanksgiving dinner. And I can remember that day, and it started probably – maybe around 1 or 2 in the afternoon. And uh, one of the first call callers that called in was George Martorano. And you know him probably from the show now. He calls into the show. He got released a couple of years back. And um, I remember him calling up, and, you know, we talked about the day he would get out. And Craig Cecil called, and a whole bunch of folks called that many of them have since gotten out. But that's the bittersweet part, because as much as that was an amazing experience, um, there's been a lot of negativity that came out of all that. And I don't know what it is about the prison outreach folks, but there's there's a bond that happens when you, when you reach out to people that are, you know, um, disabled in a, in a tremendous way. They're, they're, they're freedom challenged, and they don't have the same freedom as we do. So uh, the ease of connecting with somebody like that uh, happens pretty pretty quickly. But what I noticed, um, there was a couple of people that rose out of that, and in fact, looking back on that whole Thanksgiving, um, today I have contact with only a handful of those people, and many of them had over the last several years, you know, gone on their own, soured for whatever reason or another. But there's something that's happened with the with the prison outreach folks that they almost and it it's it's with 
some exceptions. I know one amazing prison outreach person who is listening right now, and I love her dearly, and she she's she's been immune to that. But some of these folks, for whatever reason, they 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 act almost like own these people. Like they get jealous if you do something the wrong way and and act in a in, a, in, a, in my opinion, a very dysfunctional way, and I, I, I found it to be very off-putting when people would, uh, people that I introduced them to, and, and all of a sudden, one day they're telling me how I have to do it, and uh, things went south for me and, and a lot of the prisoners because of, of, of some of these folks. Um, I had relationships with probably about 50 inmates over the time, and today, really, I'm only connected to a few of them. Um, the ones that I actually really know and the ones that I've, I've become close with. Um, and I, I'm sharing that because I think that it's important if we decide to engage in our prison outreach side of things to remember that people are people. And just because somebody's locked up and they shouldn't be locked up doesn't mean they're good or bad. It doesn't mean they're, they're kind or, or assholes. And just because you're willing to help out doesn't, doesn't mean much about you either. It just means that uh, it's something that's important. It, I believe it's it's a, it's a good thing to do, and I I believe that if you are part of the human solution, that it would be in your nature to want to support people who are victims of the drug war. And I would strongly urge you to to learn more about these folks and to uh, to help out if you can. You know, every week we talk to Craig. And hopefully he's inspiring. He's a man who always has a good attitude, even though he has no hope to get out. I have hope for him to get out, but I'm an eternal optimist. I'm kind of a crazy freak when it comes to that stuff. I don't have limits or boundaries. I, I, I know that if i free, he'll be free. But I don't know how it's going to happen. I know that it's going to require a lot of our effort, and I know that it's not going to happen easily. And so that's part of what this is. I'm, I'm very grateful that this year... Uh, some good folks have joined up and have decided to stand with the Human Solution International. Um, we got a guy named Chris Birdsall who uh, has a, a company and they sell uh, ice creams. And uh, he's just made a donation. He, for every one of the ice creams that he sells of a certain type, he donates a portion of it to the Human Solution. And he just uh, made good on that this last week. I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for um, Becca who's done so much work making the website uh, happen. I'm, I'm grateful for uh, Mary, who is just an amazing person, and, and she has allowed this show to continue in the um, fluid way that it has. If you listen to some of these old episodes, you never know that sometimes we come sliding into home at the very last second, or sometimes we don't have a screener for a little while, but between Becca and Mary, usually one of the two will, will make sure and come through. Um, it seems that it just always works because I think it's important. Um, and, and Mary offers uh, a depth to our organization that's important because of her experience that she has and the things she's overcome. Uh, she has a, a, an exceptional outlook on life. And I can't think anything but the most grateful about that because I strongly believe that our outlook is instrumental in our out I think if we go to this 
knowing that we're going to win. I think if we go to this and see the freedom that I've described many times, I think if we go to this and and somehow dig in and find the hunger, you know, where's the hunger? I think if we can find it and we, we can realize that this needs to be done. And, and if we really grasp the fact that there are people that are locked up in prison, the same place that violent, horrible people are at, and these people did no wrong. These people didn't harm anybody. These people truly don't belong there. I think when we get that, hopefully it, it, it'll tug on your heartstrings. Hopefully it'll tug on your soul in such a way that says, wow, here I am, free to smoke pot. I could be smoking a joint right here in the comfort of my home, and I would not be breaking a law. And yet these people... These people have no freedom. Well, not a state law. Well, the feds aren't generally going to come in on me for smoking a joint. Generally. They might, generally. They might come in on me for being who I am. But generally, they're not going to come in on you for smoking a joint. And there's people in state prison that are there for smoking pot, even though we have freedom, so they say. So... Um, I'm very, very, very grateful today, maybe in a way that I've not quite been um, for a while, because I feel that I feel that we have the tools today to really push forward in a way that we haven't. I'm grateful for uh, Tom Corby, uh, a lion of a man who I met in 2013 in person at two o'clock in the morning at a little diner in Oroville, California, while we were six days weary on a bus. And uh, Tom invited the whole Motley crew into his house <laughs> to come on in. We'll put you up. And Tom and I sat out in his car and smoked a joint and told tales of being locked up. And uh, I bonded with a man that I, I, I can truly say I have the deepest, deepest respect for. He's a man that I don't know that I would be able to do what I do the way I do it if I didn't know he was there with me. Um, he gives me strength in a lot of ways because I know I don't have to worry about where he's at because he's carrying the load where he's at. I'm grateful for Dee Dee Kirkwood. She's also on the phone listening. And she's picked up um, an element that I haven't been able to carry myself for some of the things I was just talking about in a pure way, in a way that just is always uh, wholesome and kind and loving and always for the highest good. And uh, she was always there for me in my darkest times, um, always, always supported me in a way that I didn't, ever have to think about or worry about or wonder about. And a couple of times she, she helped me out in a way that I didn't expect and literally helped give me a breath of air when I couldn't breathe. And I always know when I look around at people and I deal with assholes and I deal with the people that lie and flake and don't do what they say, I, I can always 
see a picture of Didi in some place that we went or something that we did, and I smile and I know that humanity is worth it. There are people that we've gathered together that make this whole human experiment worth it. And I believe that enough of us are gathering together that we're going to raise raise the stakes. We're going to raise the vibration. We're going to raise the bar. And we're going to make this world and we're going to make this society and we're going to make this 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 paradigm that we live in a little bit more tolerable, a little bit more like I think it should be, a little bit more like it should be. So I'm very grateful. And I'm also very grateful for my vice president, Lisa Wooldridge, and she's sitting right here next to me. And she's helped uh, make this whole uh, radio show visual, and she's brought the video thing to it, and I think that's helped out a lot. I think we've got now we got the YouTube stream and we got the yep. Facebook stream, and and I think that the combination of all of these things has um, built the audience in a, in a way that um, yeah it fluctuates, but I think that the feedback I get from people when we talk about things that come out of this show and and things that come up in and from the show, I think that um, I think that this effort is really working. I feel that every year, you know, this is, I don't know, I think the fifth year we've done a show, and this is the third year that the Cup of Joe has been running. Um, I think it's just getting more solid, and it's not that I do any better at talking. I think that the whole show itself, I think it's got more depth to it. I think it's got more um, more heart and more soul. So anyways, um, Lisa's got some things she wants to say, and so I'm going to turn it over to her for a minute or two, and uh, let's see what she's got to say. This is the Human Solution Vice President, Lisa Wildridge. Hey. Hi, guys. Okay. So I've got a couple of things to say. Um, the reason that I'm here is because in uh, – oops, don't want, to show, don't want to show you that yet – in 2012, I was diagnosed with what's called inflammatory breast cancer. Inflammatory breast cancer is nothing. as no cancer is anything to mess around with, but inflammatory breast cancer literally starts in the lymph system. Um, as part of that, I had, um, these are not real, so I had those removed. Um, I wear this because I have a condition called lymphedema. And just as a side note, when you have lymphedema, what they prescribe for you is tramadol, gabapentin, and Lyrica. So as you've probably been looking lately, the gabapentin has reached some real bad press with it being um, in the same classification as the opioids. So I'm here because I use the plant medicine. I use the plant medicine because I did um, chemo, I did surgery, and I had radiation. And radiation was so bad and so painful that I wanted to use something besides the the big, what I like to refer to as small p, capital H-A-R-M, small a, in other words, P-Harma medications. I didn't want to take all that, and I was really severely burned. Um, when I started talking about cannabis and rediscovering it, because I'm, I'll be 60 in March, when I was rediscovering it, because I'd used it back in the 70s, um, 
I was informed that it's possible that it kills cancer cells. Notice I smile when I say possible. Yay! <laughs> and that's Corinne. We love Corinne. Mm-hmm. See, she's wearing her shirt. So when I discovered that it's possible that it could kill cancer cells via a uh, via an action called apoptosis, which is programmed cellular death, I'm like, sign me up for that program. Because one of the scariest things about cancer is the fact of whether or not it could recur. So if I'm careful what I eat, if I use my cannabis and it, and it can go and find these rogue cells that may exist, it's possible that I could live longer, and that's why I'm here. I'm very selfish that way. So I have a couple of things that I want to um, kind of share with you guys. Um, one of the things is I like to attend um, cannabis events where other people who like the products get together and do a meet and greet. And I was blown away by two things that have happened. The first one I went to, um, there was a cannabis attorney who was a young woman who um, was, we were talking, and she said that she has a young child at home that's breastfeeding, and so I was speaking to her about the cannabinoids in her breast milk, and she went, what? So here's a woman who's an attorney who's representing cannabis clients who had no idea that her own breast milk that her baby was was suckling on has cannabinoids in it. The other one that I found very interesting just occurred. So I got to do this without showing the label, and I can't show you the label. So here's a bottle. This bottle was in an event. This bottle was displayed by a really nice young woman with a lot of passion and a lot of compassion and the unfortunate thing about it is her bottle contains like 12 ingredients. The ninth one is cannabidiol. doesn't tell me how she got the cannabidiol in there. doesn't tell me what form it's in. Um, and she kept talking about uh, safflower oil. So one of the things that when I was speaking to her, is it okay that there's no signal on the main screen? We didn't like lose something, right? No. Okay, it's good. All right. So... One of the things that I kept talking to her about was I was speaking to her about her endocannabinoid system, and finally she stopped me and she said, what's that? So here's a wonderful young soul making a product that literally had no idea she has an endocannabinoid system, or that any of us do. So it behooves all of us to educate ourselves and educate all those other people that we know. We have to do that. Perhaps that's part and parcel of why this isn't working. People aren't sharing. Don't be afraid. It's not like it's a political thing here, folks. It's a healing medicine. Feel free to open your mouth. We've got to. Maybe you're sitting next to a family member tomorrow around the table that really needs to know about this medicine. It's up to you, and I'm challenging you to share it. Be brave. Be bold. Save a life. Save your own. Help me save mine. The other thing I want to talk about is we are actually all, if we're not using cannabis currently, we are endocannabinoid deficient, which means that our systems are severely lacking an essential nutrient. It used to be in our food supply. It no longer is. And so perhaps that's why there's a lot of anger and hostility is because the system, the body system, is just not working properly. The last thing I want to add is I watched a movie 
that blew me away. And what the movie talked about was it talked about, it's called Stink, and it's on Netflix. And it gets, it's a little slow as it starts, but when it gets into the meat of it, if you want to talk about a swamp, the swamp is with the American Chemical Association. I have never heard any more vile rhetoric and doublespeak and BS than that comes out of the mouths of these people. You owe it to yourself and your family and the, the entire humankind to watch this movie and the knowledge that it's going to share with you. There is a term called precautionary practice. The United States of America does not use precautionary practice. Precautionary practice says that if we all wear a seatbelt, we are going to prevent possibly ourselves from being involved in an accident, possibly losing our lives. They literally do not use, and they fight, this big chemical association fights this precautionary practice. The FDA is only food and drugs. They do not do the chemicals that you clean your home with. They don't do the chemicals that you put on your face as makeup. They literally can put toxic waste in there, and if they label it as fragrance, they don't have to tell you what's in it because it's proprietary. So they're, 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 it's okay to use bleach. It's okay to put flame retardant in children's pajamas, and they don't even have to tell you that it's toxic, that it's in there. They don't have to. The law, they don't have to do it. The huge body that we are fighting is the Chemical Association of America, and they have their own set of rules. They are in charge of ConAgra, of tobacco, of all the big industries, of all the big pharma. Precautionary practice. The EU, the European nations, they practice this. They protect their citizens. We do not. We are fighting for this plant. We have to get, we have to get Craig out. We got to get Lance Glore out. And make your uh, Mama Glore ask for everybody to be aware. They're going to send more pictures to the White House with Lance's picture in them, so be aware of that. Get your pictures in. Um, it's all about the money, folks. Look to the root. The root is that they do not use precautionary practice. People are not paying attention. I'm paying attention. You all need to pay attention. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm doing this. I'm not paid. I'm a volunteer, and I'm doing it because I'm passionate about this plant because of apoptosis. As a cancer survivor, that's what it's all about to me. I want to make sure that I'm here. I want this plant to be available for everybody so that we can all be happy and healthy. Because if we're all happy and healthy, we're not going to be fighting and beating each other up and worried about whether I'm a Democrat and you're a Republican. We can all get along because we're happier. Our body systems are running more efficiently. That's what it's all about. So we've got to get all these people out of prison that don't belong in there. Nobody else belongs in there. Let's make each other happy. Start making some noise, folks. That's you. I'm talking to you right there. You're the one that's looking at me, you guys, right there. Do something. Don't just sit there and listen. Speak up. If I can sit here and speak to you and go like this and do all that, then you can do something. Talk to your uncle. Talk to your aunt. Talk to your grandma. My mom's 87. She loves the stuff. Why? Because she's got aches and pains. It works. I'm talking to people that have they've been going to doctors for three years and nobody's been able to figure out how to help them. What helps them? The cannabis plant. Look to the root. Look to the root. All right, Lisa Wildridge, folks. Speaking from the heart. 
Uh, we got Glenn Keeling. Glenn and his wife Peggy. I'm very grateful for as well. They're uh, fighting a case in Ohio. And while they're fighting a case in Ohio, they're representing the Human Solution International. They have their Creative Care Beacon chapter. They are actively supporting defendants um, in Ohio, where they also have a law that's supposed to protect them. But uh, rather than protecting them, um, these guys are going through hell. And, uh, you know, that's a, a real example of the human solution, all the, the, the outreach people have been doing, uh, the letters that have been written, the phone calls that have been made. Um, you know, people that are all over the country are, are, are stepping up to help Glenn and Peggy. And, uh, you know, that's what this is all about, solidarity. We talk about this ribbon as a solidarity ribbon. Look up the word solidarity and see what it means. That's what this is about. When there's true solidarity for this cause, change will happen. You know, that represents the public sentiment that if we if we do it loud enough and long enough and hard enough and with enough fire and with enough desire, with enough with enough hunger with enough really feeling it we're going to make the change you know politicians are worthless and weak every single one of them the problem is is we're worthlesser and weaker more often than not and they had enough gumption and wherewithal to get through and and push us over and this is the final point i'm going to make it's going to be a real rough thing to hear because I'm about to say something that, in a lot of ways, is pretty shitty. But as I'm watching history, the history of civilization, the history of America, the history of, of Europe, and the history of all this stuff, trying to find it from a number of different points of view so I can piece together what's likely the truth. problem is you listen to history from whoever's point of view, and it's probably skewed, just like all of our points of view are. And, you know, you watch documentaries that are for something, and they tell the story their way. They tell the story that gets their point across. There's not a documentary out there that's non-biased. That's the point of a documentary is to drive a point home. And so I've watched documentaries on both sides of a, of a, of a point, and you go, wow, that's the same thing they're talking about? Really? You wouldn't get it. But here's something to think about. And I want everybody to think about it the way I'm intending it, so I'm going to be as clear as I can about what I'm intending. What I'm intending for you to get is the here and now, the lesson of history that I'm getting, that I wish we would get. Throughout history, we there have been oppressors and the oppressed. And sometimes the oppressed rises up and overthrows their oppressors. But unless or until they do, they remain oppressed. And in a lot of ways I think about that and I say, well, what? whose fault is that? And I understand that there's things that are fair and there's things that are not fair. And I'm not trying to in any way justify oppression that... 
in no way am I saying that it's okay to oppress, but people do oppress. And somehow it's okay for people to be victimized because we sing about the victimization all the time. And, and I'm not diminishing in any way somebody who's been victimized, but I'm thinking to myself, at what point do we have responsibility for our own shit? Because I tell you what, if you came into my country and tried to oppress me, you better kill me because I'm going to keep coming at you until I get what I want or you do kill me. And that's the deal. But see, I know I'm not alone. I know there's other people that, that get that. But yet I watch all around. 97% of all these cases are pled out. We don't dig in and fight the way that we could. We don't fight against our own government. We don't fight against those companies that are oppressing us. We listen to the bullshit. We're divided and conquered over and over and over again, and we settle for second best. We settle for third best. We settle for last. We go, well, but we got something. When are we going to be okay with nothing less than freedom? When are we going to decide that right is right and what we have here isn't that? When are we going to stop being excuse makers and victims? When are we going to decide that, wait a minute, we're the only ones that can do something about it? There isn't anybody else on the planet that's going to fix this problem for us. And people that say, well, it's just going to happen, it's already in motion, you watch and see the nightmare that will will unfold. If it goes Schedule 2, Schedule 3, Schedule 4, Schedule 5, we're all fucked. Okay? And anybody who thinks different, let's have a real conversation. Call in and let's talk about it, because I got facts and the truth that I can lay down that will slice you, dice you, and put you on the skillet. And I welcome that. Nobody wants to do that. I welcome anybody to come in and, and, and prove me wrong. I'm not just spewing. I'm willing to talk about it. I'm willing to defend this position. These little baby steps are leading nowhere. They're never going to lead anywhere. Yes, if we keep it and step upon it and step upon it and keep stepping it forward, it'll be a road to get there. I'll have no problem with the path that it took. But unfortunately, we tend to rest upon our laurels and say, well, we've done it. It's okay because who cares if you've got to jump through unreasonable hoops and who cares if you've got to be a triple millionaire to even be in the game? Who cares if, if, if you know, go on and on about it? Or if it's okay for me because I can grow my six plants and that's all I need. What about the guy who needs seven or ten or a or hundred? Is that okay? Is it okay because it's okay for you? You know, remember, this isn't about me, and it's not about you. It's about all of us. It's about those poor bastards who don't feel that they can have it, the ones that are afraid. They're afraid of what they're going to lose, so they're not willing to take the chance. I deal with people every single day that say, well, I would do it, but I'm afraid. Well, guess what? Now you won't do it. Now you're going to suffer because you won't do it. Fear is the thing that's going to keep you from 
that thing that might help you, save you, possibly give you quality of life or life itself. All right, I keep saying I'm done, but I keep having more to say. Anyways, that's all I'm saying is why, why, why won't we have the responsibility for our own shit? Yeah, we're being oppressed. So what? Overthrow it. Historically, that's what happens when people have enough. They get over it. They change it. We can do that. All right, I got Glenn Keeling here. I'm very grateful for Glenn and his wife, Peggy, and all the work they've done. Welcome to the show, Glenn. How's it going? Hey, Jill. Thank you very much for having me on. Man, we're we're thankful for you. Uh Got this little thing of losing my voice tonight. Uh, <laughs> I'm doing that too. I think back and I look, you know, I think a year ago I was sitting in jail, you know, Thanksgiving time because of a plant. Um, and one year later we are still fighting that same case because of a plant. Um, and we're going to continue to fight till. We have to. We, we we did nothing wrong. The plant is a plant. We did nothing wrong. So we're going to fight this. We're going to make them, you know, back out of the case. We're going to, it's all there is to it. There's, there's nothing there. Fuck them. That's all I got to say about it. I'm not taking a deal. We're just going to fight this. What happened today? Well, they, today they gave us a deadline for... Um, the brief, uh, apparently our, our attorneys have to make a brief as a part of the motion. So uh, that's where we're at um, right now is, is um, we're at the, a brief part of the hearing. Um, so hopefully we will find out the next court time. <laughs> um, probably be another court hearing after that and then another one. It's just we're it's not going to stop. We're just not – man, I'm, I'm trying – you're right. We we listen and hear a lot of people that just, you know, roll and take whatever deal because you're right. They get scared. You know, it, going through a, a, a drug case is it's scary. It really is scary. But you've got to stand your ground. If you did nothing wrong, you've got to fight your case. You can't just take whatever you, they decide to give you because it's a win for them. Either way it goes, if you did nothing wrong, you did nothing wrong. It's a plan. That's the first and foremost thing you have to keep in mind is you're using a plant. It's a plant. You, regardless of whether you're using it medicinally or recreationally or, or just wanting to eat it, I know it doesn't matter. It's a fucking plant. No one should ever go to jail or go through a court case or be faced with life in prison. Boy, man, it's, you've got, you know, the United States is, is right in the middle of two countries. you got Canada above us that, you know, Cannabis is for adults swimming over. Mexico has decriminalized it. We're the only assholes right in the middle that still persecute our citizens for using a plant. That's sad. That's very sad. Listen, people, you've got to come together and stand together and fight with one another against the government because that's what it is. I mean, man... Legalization doesn't do nothing but bring a whole host of problems. I mean, look, Joe went through it in a legal state. Peggy and I were going through it in a legal state. Mary's gone through it in a legal state. Lisa's gone through it. In le- 
everybody has gone through it in a legal state, and that's because it's fucking legal. And that's exactly what happens when you get a legalized system. It makes you a criminal, period. Uh, and we've got to get past this legalization thing. It doesn't do nothing except make good people criminals. My name is Glenn Keeling. We are the Creative Care Beacon in Ohio, the Human Solution Chapter. You can find us on uh, Facebook, or you can simply just give me a call at 419-863-0498. Excellent. Well, thanks, Glenn, and I hope uh, you and Piggy have a, a wonderful Thanksgiving. And, uh, you know, it's... Uh, we just keep fighting, and we got a great family here, and you know we're 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 literally worldwide. We have we have members all across the world, all across the country, and I feel like there's a, a stronger a stronger unity than we've ever had. So you know, brick by brick, we build this thing, and um, you know, at one point there's going to be a critical mass, and we're going to have. Um, you know, we're starting to 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 align ourselves with with other individuals and groups that are that are you know friendly to to this and, and willing to work together and and i'm watching more and more um uh, the egos be set aside one by one and and i think that you know we're we're finally getting that spot where enough people are standing up that people are are going yeah you know maybe i'll do that too so hopefully we just keep that going right on well i just went Happy Thanksgiving to you and yours, Joe. And I'm very thankful for the Human Solution. Um, Pete and Helen, great people. Um, very thankful for my wife that stands with me and, and fights every day. Um, again, people, reach out. We can't help you unless you want to help yourself. It's so true. It's so true. And that's, you know, that's the key to this. Uh, so many people come to this organization and they think somehow that, you know, we got a magic bullet that's going to save them. Well, our magic bullet is just that. It's a bullet. you got to build the gun. you got to cock the trigger back. you got to hold that gun, and you got to point it at your target. And, yeah, you bet, we're a bullet that's going to go and hit the target. But it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's an effort, and it's a, it's a, it's a commitment. And if you have it and you're willing to do it, we will stand up, support you, hold you up, teach you, um, uh, amplify what you got going on, and, and help bring people to you. And that's what it is that we do. So, all right, Glenn and Peggy, well, um, you guys have the, the, the best day tomorrow, and, um, you know, I look forward to talking to you real soon. Right on, Joe. Thank you very much. All right. <laughs> Glenn and Peggy Keeling. Um, all right, so, oh, we got non-compliant. Mary has something more to say. Mary, why don't you just pop yourself on? And uh, I definitely want to hear what you have to say. Well, hello there. Uh, Here I am again. Yes, yes. Hey, <laughs> How's hey. you doing? Doing good. Um, I just had this, like, a little little incoming the other day. I was having a, just a rough time, and, Michael passed me a little bit of Alien OG, and so I tried that. And all of a sudden, I, was, I could get perspective on all the little moving parts and see what was going on, and I could come, actually come up with a plan to not only get by it, but get by it well. 
And I thought, wow, all I needed to do was get out of my way, and all the answers were there. And then I started thinking about how people will have a glass of wine or a beer or a joint or whatever to relax at the end of the day, but then they say, oh, no, got to get back to the real world. And I think there's a psychosis going on there. The real world is not having all the clutter in your mind. The real world is looking at what appears to be obstacles and designing your way through it. The real world is not being so stressed out that you're in your way creating your own blocks. That's not the real world. That may be the most common use of it at the moment, but I think that the, most, the majority of us are psychotic. <laughs> really. And so I am I, thankful to have walked both sides of that road, <laughs> and I can just say that I am, I am happy to take something and stand back and enjoy my life rather than be so stressed, and I spent a lot of my life being stressed. One day I was in here with, um, and <clears throat> it was a particularly trying day working with contractors and, you know, things that don't go right and things that you even put in a contract so that you can all agree, you know, don't, doesn't turn out to be that way. And so what I did is I just came in here, and I don't remember, I think it was Blue Night that night, and I sat down and I watched um, some sort of cartoon show about, I don't know, like a Bambi type thing. I have no idea what it was. All I know is that instead of stressing out about something that I really couldn't control at that point, I was able to sit down with someone I adore, enjoy my life, and sit back and come up with a plan that worked. And if there's something that gives us that opportunity, I just say, why would people not want to do it? I heard the weariness in Glenn's voice. And, Glenn, my heart goes out to you because I have walked in those shoes and I've had all sorts of thoughts. If we only knew that it's us and how we're responding or reacting to what's ever on our plate, if we only knew that if we just step back and stop trying to control it and stop stressing, that the answers are right there, right in front of us. We're, it's like we're the, ones that are con- we're the ones that are creating the chaos by participating in that stressful lifestyle. So that's what I'm grateful for. I'm grateful that I, I've stepped out, out over, I don't know what it is. <laughs> but it's good over here. It's really good. That's all. That's love you guys. Well, love you back, Mary, and, and, and you're so right. One of the, you know, if, if you work on, if you decide to work on yourself in whatever path you choose, whether it's a, a spiritual path or a, self-help path or the secret or whatever it is, doesn't matter what route you go, you're going to come to a place where you're going to realize that in order to um, make progress, you need to clear your mind. And there's something about, try clearing your mind. It's the hardest fucking thing in the world Mm -hmm. because your mind is designed to have habit and the habit is to just keep chattering away, it's a little chatty Kathy, it's always in your ear. But if you try to still yourself and try to still your mind and you practice it, it generally takes a little while to, to, to practice it. It's one of the hardest things to do for most people. Some people probably are good at it easily. But um, but when you can do it and, and step outside of yourself and look down on yourself and be an observer of you, then all of a sudden you can start seeing the shit that's in your way. <laughs> and... I I I'm I have no doubt that uh, you're able to accomplish that, Mary, and and uh, it's it's evident in your outlook. That's for sure. 
Well, I will share right, with you, you one of my what I just want to share one of my little shortcuts for doing that is to look at things not so much as right and wrong. Spent most of my life there, but to look at it more as choice and result. Without the right and wrong, there's not the emotion. Without the emotion, the brambles are gone, and without the brambles, we can pretty see we can see pretty clearly and walk through choice and result. Just like driving a car. Just kind of savor that a little bit. Anyway, I'm backing away. Here I go. <laughs> All right. I like it. Choice and result. I like the way you think. All right. So now that we're down to 15 minutes, we've got a bunch of people that have something to say, and we're going to do what we always do. we got room for everybody. So let's see. we got Bobby and Colleen. I'm also grateful for Bobby and Colleen. I uh, have been privileged to spend uh, some good time with both of these folks. And, um, you know, having a good heart is something that is a rare thing in this world. And uh, Bobby and Colleen, they have a good heart, and they they have they get what's important in life. So uh, welcome to the show, you guys. I'm grateful for you to be in my life. We're grateful to have you. Hang up. Hello? Hello? Yeah. Are, am I? Hi, Jones. Bob, um, I was just calling in. I'm listening here about all this, and I still got a case going on back in Chicago. You know, they, well, they won't arrest me for it. They won't come out here and give me. They don't want me. But my mom goes, tells me yesterday, she's, if they're going to go recreational, they'll probably drop your warrant. I said, oh, shit, I'm coming back for court. Um, they're not going to drop my warrant. She says, you're crazy. You're crazy. You can't go in there and they'll arrest you. I says, no, they won't. I signed out of my signature. You know, it was only a pound of pot. And I was in the hospital there. I'm going to go to my doctor's office and get a letter from him. Tell him I'm going to turn myself in. They'll get a letter that says that I can't live without marijuana and go in there, and so that way they can arrest me, get a new court date, fight them, and sue them. They lost my car. I guarantee my marijuana is gone from evidence. It was like 15 ounces, I think, something like that. But I know they ain't got the evidence anyway, and my doctor has already testified in the courtroom to the medical necessity. So it's like I got their asses whipped, but it's a civil rights lawsuit in the end. They illegally searched me. They put me in jail, took my marijuana to give me Marinol, took me to the hospital and gave me Marinol pills. And I'm like, this is seriously right, really? You know, so I figured I'm going to go back there and fight him. It's just a matter of being being well enough here. But when she told me that they were probably going to drop my warrant, I was freaked out, you know, so I'm going to have to get back there soon and go to trial and gather a gang. Right on, right on. Well, I know, uh, I know you got the gumption to do it, that's for sure. So, uh, yeah, yeah, but yeah, this is a beautiful thing. Yeah. Well, I love all you guys. And, uh, I just wanted to let you know that cannabis saved my life schedule one or nothing. I was using it before I was sick and it made me, it made me smile when I was sad, made me hungry when I wasn't, you know, there's, they can schedule it up there wherever because it don't matter. You know, their laws have never really mattered to me anyway. The speed limit's 35. I don't even look at the sign. My speedometer is broken. You know, I don't know. They they make up their own laws. As long as I'm not harming another human being, and that's what it's about. If there's no victim, there's no crime. Uh, I love you all. Talk to you later. All right, Bobby. All right. Bobby and Colleen from way up in Crescent City. All right. We got George Martirano. We got Peggy Kimmel. And then Tom Corby. So uh, George has been... Uh, a friend of the show for several years now, and um, I've known George for, I don't know, about six years, I think. And like I told you, that that Thanksgiving back in 2013, when we talked to George, he was uh, languishing 
in federal prison serving a life term. And we talked then about when he would be free. And I think it's important to talk about things the way they're going to be. I think if we can if we can see it, if we can imagine it, if we can feel it, taste it, smell it, it can be. And today, George is here with us, live and free. George Martorano, my friend, welcome to the show. Hey, Joe, how you doing? How you doing, my West Coast friends, my West Coast family? Well, you know, it's just the eve of a festive uh, holiday, you know. Uh, you know, holidays mean a lot to me because in prison, uh, uh, it was a whole new... I, I don't even want to get into it, you know, certain situations at all. I think it's I think it's important that we tell a we tell a little bit of a humorous story tonight. I'm the I'm the storyteller. Even though I'm a writer, I'm just a storyteller of yesteryear. Anyway, back in the eighties I was in a prison uh, in Philadelphia. Philadelphia has all their uh, their city uh, prisons right on one road. It's called State Road. They have several prisons down there, very old prisons at the time. I think the one I'm talking about, Holmesburg, it's condemned right now. And it was Thanksgiving, and, you know, on Thanksgiving, you know, you have these long lines going into the chow hall. And uh, I'm standing in line, and uh, I'm passing this uh, this sally port, and I see, I look through these bars, and I see all these boxes, these boxes stacked up, these cardboard boxes stacked up, and they're oozing with salt. They're empty. With the contents are empty, but now you're going to the towel, and you're supposed to get a piece of turkey. But these turkey legs were huge. I mean, they were. <laughs> I never seen turkey legs that big, and uh, the meat was sort of like uh, purple pink, and <laughs> and when you chewed them, they were like chewing bubble gum. And oh, no. come to find out, them cardboard boxes. I couldn't read the writing. Because they were in a foreign language, but come to find out, with the, with the name on them, them uh, cardboard boxes was buzzer. We were eating Hungarian oh, no. buzzer. That's a true story, ladies and gentlemen. We were eating uh, Hungarian buzzer. That's how bad the budget. That's how bad they were robbing the budget at the prison. They wouldn't even buy us turkey. They wow. were saying it was turkey, but I couldn't. I couldn't chew it, so I gave it to the young guys that were sitting at the table, and I, I had to hold my, I didn't want to laugh, because they were actually chewing and chewing and chewing like it was bubblegum. So when I left the chow, I went and I got a pencil pen and a pen of paper, and I wrote down the name, and then I had the name checked out. Sure enough, it was buzzer. We were eating Hungarian buzzer. Wow. <laughs> That's crazy. So, wow. you know, I want to share that that story, but that's what goes on in America, ladies and gentlemen. You have no idea. And then I remember reading the paper back in the, in Florida, and Warden, a warden got indicted and arrested because he, uh, he was feeding hot dogs. He was feeding turkey hot dogs uh, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. He thought it was okay because they were turkey dogs and not beef dogs. And he was feeding them actually breakfast, lunch, and dinner. He he bought these tractors, trailers, loads of frozen turkey hot dogs, <laughs> and he was feeding them to wow. these county jail people. So that's what goes on. And I, I, I don't believe it's gotten any better. Thank God I'm out of the system. But I wanted to share those human stories. 
It was a uh, Hungarian buzzer. I hope you have an amazing turkey dinner with your friends and family tomorrow. And uh, if anybody deserves it, i got to tell you, you, uh, you, you deserve a, a wonderful day. Yeah, so, uh, well, like I said, I'm, 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 I'm the only prisoner I, I know since I met release that they've eaten a Hungarian pusher leg. <laughs> anyway, we've got to go find some buzzard legs when I come out west. I, I will look. You know, hey, maybe it's a delicacy somewhere. I'll see if I can find some. We can we can eat some yeah, for all time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Good buzzard. I know you got long time. All right. All right. So we got Peggy Kimmel. Um and Peggy doesn't usually come on the show. She's a little shy, but she's um she is the other half of Glenn Keeling, and she's also been going through this now for a while. And, and uh, if you have never been through a battle, Mary touched on something. You get weary. Some people's battles go on for a year. Some people's go on for longer. Mine went on for six years. And... You know, towards the end of it, I was hanging on to my last strings. I mean, I, I every day I had to wake up and convince myself to keep fighting because, and that's how they work it. And, you know, they're just going to work. And you're struggling to survive. You're struggling to breathe. You're struggling to stay afloat, struggling to keep your spirit strong, struggling to, to go at it one more day. And uh, so... Peggy is the other half of the Creative Care Beacon chapter, and she's also part of our leadership team. Peggy, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Good, Joe. Thanks for having me. I want oh, to talk to you about um, a little something different than Glenn usually talks about, and that is when you're a parent and you choose to use cannabis versus pharmaceuticals. One of our charges is child endangerment, and that bothers me so much more than any of the other charges because, you know, I love my family, and I would never do anything to endanger them at all. I've picked my family up and moved to protect them, and it really bothers me that at one point in time, I'm a very sick person, and doctors allowed me to have 6,000 milligrams of Vicodin in a day and that was perfectly fine and nobody cared and I could have my kids and do whatever but then they come in here and they find cannabis and they want to charge me with child endangerment that is so wrong not just in our case but other people deal with this too people that love their families would never put them in any danger and I just don't know what is wrong with the world today. It's so much safer than those pills. They have never taken my daughter out of my care. She has been here for the past 13 months that we've been going through this. So if we really so much endangered them, then shouldn't they be looking at those charges too? They left her here. So I just wanted to tell everybody to stand your ground if this happens to you. Because a label like that 
people don't normally care. They just see that label and say, oh, child endangerment, you hurt a kid. You know, you must be a bad person. But we are not bad people. And anybody else that's going through this, chances are they are not bad people either. So stand up for yourself. Reach out. Ask for help. Everybody needs a shoulder to cry on or somebody to lean on once in a while. Don't be afraid to ask. Well, that's fantastic. And Peggy, I just uh, hope you and Glenn have just, and your daughter, the whole family just has a great uh, a great day tomorrow. And uh, just to see the freedom that's ahead of you, that uh, when this thing, when the clouds finally break and, and, and they let you cut, they let you go, um, you know, know that, uh, you know, you stood your ground, you, you, you carried yourself all the way through it, and the strength that you have, you know, it's, your standing up empowers other people to stand up. And, you know, that's the part that is the hardest for me because when I was fighting my case, I didn't know any other way. I couldn't have imagined me doing anything other than what I did. But I don't want to get another case just to fight it so that I could inspire other people to fight their case. And the hardest thing I've had is to find people willing to fight. And the fact that you guys are standing up and fighting, it, 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 gives me what I need to show people, look, you can do it. You know, when I was doing it, I could easily show people, look, I can do it. And we had a lot of people at that time but um, that are fighting. You know, now I get calls still every week. People tell me about the case, but they don't call back. You know, listen to the archives of the shows and how many people have called in to tell about their, their case and how many of them call back. You don't ever hear back from them because they take a plea deal and they go away. And they become felons, and it's unfortunately just the way things happen. So, um, anyways, um, I'm glad you were able to call in, and it's a treat to to have you share your your words of inspiration. And uh, you know, we'll uh, I look I look forward to meeting you guys in person. I I know that this year coming up, that's going to happen. So, uh, one way or another, we're going to make it happen. Sounds great, Joe. Thank you. Awesome. All right, Peggy Kimmel, folks. Creative Care Beacon, Ohio chapter, and you know, I don't know, I don't know how many times I've I've experienced this, but the people that are going through the most somehow do the most. I don't know how it happens. I don't know why it happens, but it seems to happen. Um, the healthy, strong ones. I don't know. There's a handful of them out there, but. Most of the ones that fight the hardest, that stand the ground, that really lead the way, are the ones that have gone through the most, the ones that are the most damaged, the most messed up, the most tired, the most just the least likely to stand up and fight are the ones that stand up the most. So uh, where's the strong, able-bodied ones? we got a few, and I'm grateful for them. Um, all right, before I get to Tom Corby, he's going to close the show out. We're not too late. got just enough time for Tom. I have another gratitude, and um, this is one that's possibly uh, one of my biggest gratitudes. I've been doing this for a long time, and um, when I met my wife, she didn't know anything about me, and uh, I was a, a gorilla farmer. And I told her before we really got serious, I said, well, I need you to know something. You know, I grow pot. 
and she had two young daughters, and uh, I said, you know, I, I go out in the hills, and, and I I have a partner, and I grow pot. It's something I do, and if there's if 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 that's something that's going to get in our way, I need to know now because it's part of my life. And she said, no, I can deal with that. And um, then when I started up my collective and I started putting my neck out there a little bit, she she stood by me. And uh, when I got arrested, she almost got shot standing by me. She comes flying out of the car, and I had to tell her, whoa, you know, I'm locked up. Just 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 let it go. We'll, we'll, we'll get through this. And uh, when they hauled me out of court and locked me up more than once, she was the one that was screaming and wailing and, 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 and ready to attack the cops. And um, no matter what, she's always stood by me. And anybody who has fought for something that's worthwhile, um, if you try to do it on your own, it, it's, it's almost impossible. But if you've got a strong person to stand with you and stand by you, um, you can do anything. So I introduce my lovely wife of 22 years. <laughs> I'm very grateful for her. <laughs> so, anyways, um, she's she's a big part of this organization and uh, she gets it. She doesn't even smoke pot. That's right, baby. But she fights for it and yes. she fights for everybody who wants to and. Um, and she sees what it does for people, and she recognizes that this is a <laughs> civil right. Like, are you and you and you? <laughs> what do we want? No, but when it comes down to it, when I need it, I want to be able to smoke it. When when it comes down to it, if I that's need it, it. it's so a I'm right. Fight for it. It's so. your, it should be your choice. Anyways, that's it. Give it up for my wife. All right. All right, here we go. Last guest of the day, Tom Corby, uh, Lion of a Man, runs the NorCal chapter, has done more good for more people than just about anybody I know. Welcome to the show. <coughs> I want to thank you, Joe, and uh, happy Thanksgiving to all. And uh, it's nice to have some welcome rain up here. Uh, cut down the smoke and uh, hope we can get these fires out. Uh, it's been horrendous up here. It's been a tough road to hold. Losing friends like Gordy Dice and all the people losing their home. So we say some prayers for them. I'm here with my right hand man, Frank and Ann. Hey, Joe. Hey, Liz. All caught. You guys got your banner, right? Yes, we got the banner. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, I was just, uh, yeah, I was just going to thank you for the banner. Yeah. We took a picture of it and posted it on Facebook. Right on. I've been out running around all day today. I haven't uh, haven't been online much, but I will take a look. Awesome. Sounds good. I just want to say, hey, go Missouri for finally passing medical cannabis. I want to throw that out there. That's my hometown, my home state. So I'm happy about that. It's one step closer to ending all this prohibition. You bet. Uh, yeah. You bet. Push until we get it done. That's right. Keep pushing on. We will. 
Hey, when we talk about being grateful, how we could ever done it without you, Joe. So grateful for all you've done. Too thick and thin, keeping in Human Solution International, on on and on. I, I feel that it'll be forever. Or is this a humane human solution? Even if we end prohibition, we will still have the battle. And uh, we're already trying to overtax and regulate it. So the battle goes on. And uh, pray tell that we end prohibition soon. Uh, we have a, a lot of good things going in our favor and uh, free all of our POWs. No one should die in prison for our plan. Uh, it's just incomprehensible. Uh, I've been fighting for my right to have cannabis for 50 years. And I have to say I'm grateful that, that I never thought I could actually grow my own plants here. And... Uh, California actually uh, kind of uh, took the ball on this, and they were it was very pro uh, the, the medical uh, and the collective works well. They allowed us enough to, uh, that we could uh, pay for our expenses. Of course, that's what we're allowed under Prop Two Fifteen, and through greed again, AUMA. Legalization just being more laws and regulations. I've seen it going from uh, number one down, way down. And actually, I just came from Nevada. I got out of this, uh, I got out of the smoky air down here for a couple of days up with my daughter up there. And uh, they have actually uh, less strict laws than we do now. Yeah. Okay, I want to thank you uh, all, all the day. <laughs> There's so many with Joe and Lisa and, and Mary and Becca. And I want to thank Becca for the beautiful artwork she did on our banner, making Don and I look like old hippies, and that we are. <laughs> and always the Coffee Party Radio Show. And uh, George Mark Toronto. Uh, am I forgetting anybody? There's so it's many. It's all right. You're supposed to forget stuff. We all it's forget. All right. It's We're all supposed... right. Those are what? We're supposed to forget stuff. We're human. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not of my age, of course. Okay. Ian. All right, Tom. Well, Party. you guys have an amazing. Thanksgiving. And, uh, I, I look forward to seeing you guys soon. Bye, Tom. Yeah. You too. Don't forget to breathe. All right. Okay. I'm going to breathe right now. And and don't forget, we are all thankful for you, Joe. Yeah. Thank you. All right. <laughs> bring on Willie. And bring on Willie. All right. Happy Thanksgiving. I want to thank you all, and we will see you all next week. Hi, I'm Willie Nelson, and the Willie Nelson Teapot Party and I endorse The Human Solution, supporting cannabis prisoners because no one should go to jail for a plant. Little things I should have said and done.
You were always on. 